Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Planning for someone's death, including your own, is important, especially if you want to make sure wishes for assets are known and honored. Now, that planning includes choosing someone to act as your executor. Zach Binzer and Zach Horn are here to talk about this very important role and the responsibilities involved. Now, gentlemen, this usually falls to someone close to the deceased, and it comes at a highly emotional time. And Zach Binzer, you've had experience with this. Yes, Patrice, I have. About two years ago, my father passed away after a long battle with cancer, and so I had to step into this actual role myself and help facilitate my dad's wishes in conjunction with my mom. And so we got to experience all of the emotional side of that process of grieving, but also had to deal with the legal tax state, other aspects that come to play when someone passes. Was it, did you have to deal with the emotions first and get the immediate things taken care of? What was that like? There is, there is time to process emotions initially. A lot of initial steps begin with needing a death certificate and that process takes time. But the moment he passed, we immediately had to notify hospice. We had to notify his primary care physician. People had to come in to the home and take him to the funeral home. So immediately it got down to business rather quickly. But from there, there was a period of time where we could just focus on emotions and notifying loved ones and hugging visitors who stopped by and processing the emotional side of things. But rather quickly, the professional side, if you will, did that process did get initiated rather quickly. Now, Zach Horn, this is not something that really should be done all by one person, right? That's correct. And Zach Benzer, I'm sure, would echo the same sentiment. But he was in a unique position that he kind of had the background of how to deal with these circumstances. And we've helped clients deal with these circumstances. And there's there are a lot of things that need to be done. As he mentioned, of course, first is taking the time to grieve and then putting a plan together to make sure that all the responsibilities get handled. But it is not something that one person does alone. There's a lot to take care of managing personal, legal, financial affairs of the deceased. And it's a big responsibility. So often different family members are given certain responsibilities to handle. Maybe somebody takes responsibilities for the funeral arrangements, while you know others are taking responsibility for notifying, of course, family and friends and everyone that was a part of the deceased life. And then, of course, professional help should be sought out as well. There's funeral homes that are going to be involved, but also lawyers, CPAs, financial advisors, and spiritual leaders for that aspect of things as well. So it is certainly not something that any one person needs to feel the full weight and responsibility for. It's just oftentimes a group effort, but making sure that you get the right people involved to make the process go as smoothly as possible. Now, in the introduction, I did mention that this person is responsible for making sure that assets are distributed according to the will or a trust document. But there are other things that have to be wrapped up. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the executor 
on a legal side as someone who is appointed by the will to oversee wrapping up the deceased affairs. But as you referenced, a lot of times a trust and a trustee is involved. And sometimes quite frequently, they are one in the one in the same person. So a lot of these responsibilities could be the executor, could be a trustee, could be both. But in a sense, the executor's role is to wrap up all of the legal and financial affairs for the decedent. And that includes collecting all of their assets into a centralized repository, say a checking account at a bank or an account with a brokerage firm, but also understanding any outstanding debts that need to be repaid any remaining taxes that need to be paid, and any other obligations that the decedent may be required to fulfill even upon death. Do you have to be an attorney to do this? You do not need to be a licensed attorney in any way. It is very helpful to seek out an attorney's guidance and support in the process. Um, I think the qualities that make a good executor are people who tend to be more organized, who are financially minded, who can deal with multiple moving pieces all at the same time, who are honest and not willing to sacrifice the wishes of the decedent for personal gain. So you want to have a very trustworthy person named in this role when you create your own documents. And I'll just add to that, that it is important to have somebody in this role first and foremost that hopefully you've given a heads up to that is is willing to handle the responsibility but somebody that is capable of contacting you know other helpers professional advisors etc as we mentioned before and really quarterbacking the situation w without having to do all of the detailed work themselves so it's not necessarily about having somebody that's been experienced with being an executor or anything like that, but just that trust, trustworthy person who you know can handle the circumstances and will be able to find the right guidance along the way. Which brings up the next question. If you are the one making the, the plans, I mean, you're thinking ahead, obviously, I would think you would want to let the person you've chosen know that they are the executor of your will? We certainly advise that be the case. And when we're working with clients financial planners are talking to our clients through their estate plan and looking at the aspects of it that include the helpers and who do they think they want as their executor or other helper and have they let them know this have they given them the information that they need to know we know information of where estate planning documents are kept copies of records, who all the key advisors are. And so that's certainly an important place to start in disclosing this, discussing this with the executor-to-be. Yeah, when estate planning comes up in the financial pro planning process with our clients, we readily admit that this is everyone's least favorite topic to plan for. Um, no one likes to think about their own demise, but planning ahead can make sure your wishes are met and that your loved ones know what to do to fulfill your wishes. And it can streamline a process when they are under strong emotional mm -hmm. feelings of grief and angst. So planning ahead is definitely favorable. Communication in advance is also very favorable to those who are you're asking to fulfill your wishes when you're no longer here to answer questions, right? So and thinking about your own plan for when you pass and when naming an executor, the best next step once your documents are finalized with the attorney, 
ideally would be to sit down with those people who you've named in your documents to serve those respective roles and let them know, hey, I've named you in my documents, but also here's what my wishes are in layman's terms. Attorneys do a great job of trying to put our wishes into black and white, but sharing those emotional thoughts with the people you've identified in your documents can go a long way towards making sure your wishes are met. What about making sure your beneficiary designations are up to date? I've heard some horror stories here. Yeah, that's a that's a very important, very simple, very black and white step to take. So estate planning for us is a process, and part of that is working with the attorney, but also then coordinating your assets to reflect the documents that you've prepared. And updating beneficiaries is a key piece of that. Um, you may have bought a life insurance policy 30 years ago with uh, your first wife who maybe passed away and you remarried. And if you haven't updated the beneficiaries, your new wife may be excluded or you were divorced and the ex-wife is still named in documents and beneficiary designations will trump wills and will trump trusts. Mm -hmm. And therefore they are very important to this process of prep preparing for your own passing. One of the things that I've heard people who've been executors say is sometimes they end up guessing and having to make decisions that they hope the the person who's passed on would appreciate would back. How can you make sure that you don't leave any gaps? Well, I would say that the best way to leave your estate is with as little work to do as possible for the executor. Obviously, to make it is simple for them to know what your wishes were and where things go. And as Zach mentioned, titling and beneficiaries and all of the estate planning tools that can be utilized to limit what actually flows through a will or what flows through probate makes things much easier on the executor. And then try not to leave any detail uh, unturned, undiscussed. Sure that you're relaying the message of funeral wishes and, of course, it, personal property division mm -hmm. is something that you may not even think too much of that, oh, who's going to worry about the furniture that I have or this family heirloom or that, but it could cause problems with distributing those personal belongings and people may have some mixed feelings on who they thought should have this item. And so taking all of that stress out of the situation for the executor, for the family in general, is the best thing that can be done. It's the full estate plan with no gaps left. And then having that letter, that list of every other detail and how those things should be handled, the more information, the better for the executor. I have a story about Hummel figurines. A friend of mine, her mother died and was a, an avid collector. She did, not, she did not designate anybody to take the Hummel figurines. And I, several people didn't want them, but there were a few that did. And unfortunately, there was one horrendous family meeting over Hummel figurines. How do you make sure this doesn't happen? Yeah, we've seen similar examples in our own work with our clients. And that's where we take that wisdom from those poorer experiences and try to convey 
that to our clients now so that we can avoid those in the future. I've seen really good estate planning, but also I've seen really good letters. We have a template that we share with clients where it walks through in a structured way. What songs do you want at your funeral? What funeral home do you want to be um, hmm. buried with? Is there a certain church or certain scriptures that you want utilized? Do you have a favorite song? You know, some of our clients will take a picture of each heirloom and say, this goes to this person and this goes to that person. And and that's on the extreme side of very organized and best case scenario. And we also have clients who don't like to think about it at all and refuse to do that. And one of those was my father. And I asked him to prepare this letter to the family of what his wishes were. And I think by doing that, he felt like he was acknowledging mm-hmm. um, his, you know, his pending. Yeah. yeah. And some people are very uncomfortable with that. And everything he did was, you know, at the advice of advisors, he sought the attorney, he put the documents in place, but to get that letter saying, here's where I want to be buried and what songs and what scripture readings that made it too real for him. Mm-hmm. And so he avoided that. So that fell to my mother and I to try to make our best guess on what he would have wanted. You know, did he want a casket burial or did he want to be cremated? A lot of these things, if you could just put that in a letter to your family and maybe you don't share it with anybody because you don't want anybody's input, but you say, hey, Jimmy, I named you as my executor. I left you a letter in my safe deposit box at PNC Bank. If I pass, go there and get that letter. It'll tell you everything. And you can leave it there, but at least then your executor knows where to go the moment they find out you've passed. And then within that letter, they know here's the playbook for a funeral, for next steps, for heirlooms, for the prize to grandpa's watch or the painting on the wall. Um, The more clarity, the more black and white instructions you can leave to the executor and to your family, the less disagreement and arguments you have over figurines or other heirlooms that may exist. Is the executor the person who generally is in charge of things immediately after the time of death? I mean, telling the family, uh, what about taking care of the house, the mail? After someone dies, as we've talked about, there's several things that need to be taken care of right away, but then there's other things that can wait a little bit. And certainly the executor's role is largely covering all financial bases, but they'll be looked at as the de facto leader in taking care of uh, a lot of what is needed after the decedent passes away. Again, as we said earlier, it's not that they need to take on all of these tasks themselves, but they will want to help coordinate and get others involved in certainly getting a legal pronouncement of death, telling friends and family, figuring out the funeral plans and the burial plans. There's other things like overseeing the securing of properties, taking care of pets, mm-hmm. collecting mail, notifying work if this person is still employed, handling all business needs. Obviously, this person, the decedent during their lifetime had a lot of roles and responsibilities that now will pass on to others. And so the executor, again, will want to kind of quarterback the situation and make sure to get appropriate help along the way. What about probate? Where does the executor uh, stand with that? So the will is the document that gets submitted to the courts and that initiates the probate process. And typically the will um, also names who that executor would be or a succession if if the primary is unavailable, who's a contingent and so on. 
Um, and our goal with estate planning is to avoid probate to the extent possible. So a lot of times with our clients, the executor role is diminished and we turn more to a trustee type role. But regardless, um, they can be one and none of the same, as I mentioned earlier, and they are responsible for wrapping up all of the financial matters. So in theory, the probate court does acknowledge and, and state who the executor is, and that person then does have the full legal power to execute this role. But to Zach's point, usually that burden is made lighter with many hands. How long does the process generally take? Um, that's a good question. It depends on the complexity of the estate. Um, in general, I think, you know, a rule of thumb for basic estates is about six months from start to finish, but more complex estates could could last longer. Um, it, it matters on how long it takes to get assets accumulated, to get debts paid. Um, and then there's also tax deadlines that extend the process to if need be. So there's the final individual tax return for the year that the person passes. There may be an estate tax return for the period of time between when they pass and when the estate is fully distributed. If a trust's involved, there may be trust tax returns as well. So hmm. the complexity is very unique to each individual and the timeline from start to finish is also as unique. This has been quite the discussion, guys. So I appreciate your time. Is there anything we have not touched on that you think we should? I think it's probably helpful to summarize some some of the steps we've talked about and some additional steps as well. So clearly it's important for an executor to get an original copy of the will to take care of all the financial circumstances and make sure that all accounts are accounted for, cancel credit cards, mm -hmm. access and safeguard the residence, take care of, of mail, things like that, that we've discussed a little bit. And then of course, get several death certificates that will be needed for all of the financial institutions that are going to be dealt with. And again, kind of get the team together, understand that this is not something that needs to be done by one person alone. Uh, we would encourage whoever finds himself in this position to leverage friends and family, and of course, contact key advisors to help them along the way. And, you know, with that team in place and hopefully a well-prepared estate, then things will go much more smoothly. All right. In a very emotional time. Zach and Zach, how can listeners reach you? You can find us on the web at www.fosterandmotley.com. All right. Again, thanks a lot, guys. And for more information and insight, follow this Foster and Motley podcast about life and wealth. Please rate and review and share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.